Well, it's good to be here this morning. Um, back in January last year, we had a guy called Henning, and he came to something that we, uh, what we called the Upper Room Academy, which was just a discipleship type program. And Henning, he was a prophetic guy. He lives in the south of France. He's got a very nice house in the south of France. Um, we went and stayed there. It's it like an old chateau, actually. Anyway, that's a different story. But he came and he shared on, on a Sunday morning in January. He said, I just feel, I see the church as in Trinity and KCC. He said, I see the church as like a battleship. And um, like that. I see the church like a battleship. And I see the church will go through some stormy waters, but actually it will be structured well enough to withstand it and to keep going and to persevere. And at the time, I just need to let you know, I didn't really appreciate that prophetic word <laughs> because nobody really likes it when they say, oh, you're going to go through some, through some stormy waters. But on reflection, I just feel I am so grateful for that. So, so grateful because I think, you know, from, you know to a certain extent, that it has been a difficult time, you know. Certainly at Trinity, it's been like, had some real challenges you know, the wonderful Andy and Zoe Cooley, they were part of us and then they came here and then they moved their church planting up in Manchester and was um, in contact with him this week and it just seems to be going very well. It's just a delight. We're keeping sort of like really supporting them. But actually there are all sorts of challenges that are going on. There've been, I think there have been challenges here at KCC, but there have been challenges um, in Trinity. There are all sorts of things. And so what we're doing is, we, we, some people may have thought, I thought we just started a little series on Samuel. You know, and thinking, oh, what's going on? But all we're going to do is we're just going to do a four, no, a five, <laughs> a five week, <laughs> a five week mini series on Battleship Church. Okay, so we've done a little bit on Samuel, five weeks on Battleship Church, and then we're going to go back into the story of Samuel. Um, if you could just go on to the next um, slide, just okay. So those are the things, and then. Like, because it was a moment of Holy Spirit inspiration, we found five ships that we can do, okay? <laughs> so we're going to do leadership, which is what I'm going to do this morning. Uh, membership, we're not, it's not a sign on the dotted line, you know, there's a sign of your life. But it's just, what, what does it mean to be part of a church? What do we all need to do? Uh, fellowship, what does it mean to all be part, you know, doing something together? Um, partnership, how we can be partnering with different people that makes us stronger and grow well. And then the last one is discipleship. How can we be people that are reaching out? And what is the different, what, what happens to a noun when you put ship on the end of it? It's no, it's <laughs> any English language scholars here, what happens to a noun when you put ship on the end of it? Any idea? Uh, nearly, but no. I'd like to say yes, because it'd be encouraging. And now that you put a ship on the end of it, it becomes a noun. It just keeps being a noun. But anyway, there we go. I was really struggling with that and trying to search it out, but it, it just stays as a noun. Anyway, there you go. So you put, you put, you put your ship on the end of a noun, and it becomes a noun. So this morning, we're going to look at this whole principle of leadership. And uh, uh, just go on to the next one, if you can. So we're going to look at uh, three things. We're going to look at servant leadership. We're going to look at a model of elders and deacons. And then thirdly, we're going to look at a, a model for KCC. So if you've got your... In fact, no, sorry, go on to the next one again, can you? Okay, I, it's a little bit challenging when you see all that text. But anyway, 
Let's read uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to... Does anybody want to read that from here? Anybody? Yeah, come on. Yeah, please write. Yeah. Uh, you can just read it from there, Phil. Or it's NLT. Okay, and so, b- before Nick gets this, while he's preparing his voice and just getting ready and getting in the zone, <coughs> um, the, uh, the question that I'm going to ask, and it will be a genuine question, it's not a rhetorical question, what are the Christ-like qualities of leadership we see from here? Okay? Okay. Cool. So Philippians 2, 1 to 11, have the attitude of Christ. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Brilliant, that's it. Yeah? Yeah, thank you. I heard it. I didn't take a breath. I thought you were going to carry on. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Okay, so uh, could you just turn to the person next to you and say, or somebody around you, or just... Ne- we've got about 60 seconds. What, what are some of the qualities of Christ-like leadership from these verses? But oh, this is a very quiet discussion. <laughs> Okay, right. Well, um, so can anybody call out what are some of the qualities? If you, so basically this whole se- battleship series, it's laying the foundation of how we want to try and do church together. How do we do church together? And the first thing we're looking at is servant leadership. How do we become a servant leadership like Jesus? Any ideas? Be humble. Be humble, yep. That's a really humble thing to start with, yeah. <laughs> yeah, be humble. Yeah, anything else? Be obedient to God. Selfless. Be selfless. Be interested in others. Be interested in others. Mm-hmm. We'll say that again. Serving, serving others. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Same attitude as Christ. Be like so. Just have the same attitude as Christ. Yeah, absolutely. <coughs> be sorry. Be, have be compassionate. Be ready to let go of things that God has entrusted you with. Obedient. Is that from that? Love, thy, love your neighbour. Yeah, love people passionately. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, anything else? We've got 10 so far. We've got 11. Work together. Sorry? 
Work together. Yeah, work together. Fantastic. Okay, uh, loving, one mind, one purpose, don't be selfish, don't try and impress other people, be humble, take an interest in other people, give up your divine privileges, be humble again, be obedient to God, all of those sorts of things. So often, that I don't know, we tend to think of leadership as being in control, uh, being an authority, being able to stand up here and tell people what to do, be, stand up here and be able to tell people uh, what to think, what to believe. We sometimes see like leadership is all about being recognised and being rewarded for that and being respected. But if we really want to lead like Jesus led, it's probably the complete opposite of that. If we want to lay a pattern of leadership in the church, it looks completely different. It's about becoming a servant and it's about giving up all your privileges and it's about serving other people. I mean, the thing is, I don't, are you able to follow me on the PowerPoint? Because I don't really know where... Just see the, what the next one is. Okay, yeah. If, whenever you think you've got to the next one, just press it, okay? But and we'll... we'll if it all becomes a little bit discombobulated, we'll find, we'll work it out, okay. But anyway, but I think this, this whole point of, this is what serve, this is what leadership should be about. It'd be the people that serve most of all. And there is an upside down nature to the kingdom, how the kingdom works all the time. So this verse here, um, whoever wants to be the first among you must take last place and the servant and be the servant of everybody else. And that came at a point when the disciples were arguing about who was most important. I mean, it was an extraordinary moment. They were saying, look, I do think, um, I'm not being funny, but I do think I'm a little bit better than that disciple. I'm, I'm, I'm not being funny. I don't want to push myself forward, but I do feel I'm a little bit better than that servant there, than that disciple there. And Jesus said, look, you've got it completely wrong. It's about laying everything down. It's a recurrent theme time and time and time again. Whoever wants to be, become great amongst you must be your servant. When Paul, like, who, who was this extraordinary figure who like, saw churches planted across all of the Mediterranean basin. How did he start the letter of the book of Romans? He started by saying, me, Paul, a servant and an apostle. He somehow got that mixture right. He said, I just know I am here to serve. I, I'm here to serve, but I'm not also going to, I'm not going to say, I, I'm not called to do anything else as well, but I'm here primarily to serve and to serve Jesus. And I just need to let you know some of the things that I feel um, servant leadership isn't about. Great. Is it coming up? Servant leadership does not mean being at everybody's beck and call, like being some sort of like slave in a house where you just say, come here and then just come over here, come here and do that. It, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean being at everybody's beck and call. It doesn't mean sort of like just doing what everybody wants to do. Nor does it mean doing anything possible to please everybody. If you're called to be a leader in the church, sometimes it's really, really difficult because you're in a situation where you definitely can't please everybody because there are two people that want to do completely different things. You can't. It's impossible. And I know sort of like some church leaders are just like, they've given up, you know, because they just think they're really trying to make everybody happy. And you just, you just need to know you can't do it. You can't do it. And so what you have to do is you have to have this a servant-hearted attitude like that is with the, sort of like the, the presence of the Holy Spirit on you as well to sometimes make difficult calls. Servant leadership 
doesn't mean being abused or badly treated. Sorry, I just need to let you, there's sometimes in, at, at Trinity over the years, we have had some really, really godly, kind, humble people that love Jesus and have really felt the call of God to do something. But for some reason, it just it hasn't been the right time or it hasn't been the right thing. And so you've had to say like no to them. And so as a leader, that's really difficult to say because that's the last thing you want to say to people. What you really want to say, yes, go for it. But somehow, if you're called to, like, to lead you, you have to try and work out how to say thank you, but actually we're gonna, we've got to try and work this way. And it doesn't mean to say that they're not godly. It doesn't mean to say that they're, like, they're wrong. But actually, sometimes in church, you have to try and have a pattern and a travel, a direction of travel uh, that you're going in. Can I just say, this is what I feel servant leadership should look like. I think servant leaders basically make Jesus the star. Servant leaders, leaders will always point to Jesus. They will make Jesus the centre of attention. Have you ever been to a church meeting where you've come away thinking more about the person that was speaking than you have about Jesus? I, I have sometimes. And, and I think sometimes that we have seen high-profile leaders like fail because they have forgotten that it's about trying to be like Jesus. Trying to surrender all. Trying to be humble to Jesus. You know, and we've probably, there have probably been some quite high-profile people in the news, haven't we? That we've heard over, over the recent times. Leaders, really well-known leaders, and I don't know, we can't, we don't, it's not really for us to judge them, but you just, you feel, you want to, did people come away thinking more about them or did they think, I, I want to follow Jesus more wholeheartedly because they were in the presence? I read, um, has anyone, have I mentioned the, the TB Joshua thing on iPlayer? Uh, it's, I mean, it's pretty painful and brutal watching, but it is a, about a guy who built a, an amazing church, really big church, and it just went, you know, in the end, it got really hugely manipulative. It was massive. It was a massive church. They had these massive buildings, you know, and all these things, but they just forgot to be like Jesus, and they started to believe their own press, you know? And they started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But a servant leader lays down their own dreams. A servant leader lays down what they really want to do, and picks up what Jesus really wants them to do. And I just let, let you know, the fact that is looming larger and larger in my thinking, I, when I was in my, like, 20s, tra- we travelled loads, loads. I did all sorts of wild and interesting things, you know, and travelled all around the world with different projects that I won't sort of, like, bore you with. But the idea of being in one church for 20 years would have killed me. Genuinely killed me. Because I'm the sort of person that, Jonathan, if you said, look, I've got 
I've got a spare two days. Should we just go to the airport and see where we can go? I think, yes, come on. That's, what I, that's the sort of thing that I would really want to do. You say, I don't know, let's just go. Let's just pray about a board and see where we can go and come back in three days' time and see what happens. That's, like, that's what I really like doing. That's what makes me excited. 20 years in one church. That is, like, boring. <laughs> Except for it's not, if that's what God's called you to do. It is the most exciting, liberating, phenomenally fulfilling thing that you could ever, ever do. But sometimes I think... I. I look back and think, oh, I laid down some of those dreams, but the dreams that God has given me have been so much better and so much more fulfilling. Servant leaders focus on Jesus, lay down their own lives. They're not occupied with visibility and status and job titles. They include people. Have I put that up there? No. Sometimes I hear... I hear leaders say, uh, I'm not very good at small talk. I'm not very good at that. And there's a little part of me that says, well, get better at it. Because there's a little part of me that's saying that if you, actually, what, if you've got a visitor that's coming in, what you're saying is I'm not really interested in the everyday aspect of your life. I'm only interested in the bigger picture, the deep theological issues. And I just think, oh no, we need to be the leaders that lay ourselves down. Sometimes we're not very, there are some things that I am really very not good at. Very, very not good at. But actually, we need to lay some of those things down and we need to grow into all that God has called us to do. A servant leader isn't preoccupied with status. A servant leader is about, is not about setting a great vision for a church. That is not a leader's responsibility. I think we've talked about that before. Every, every sun, first Sunday of the year, I used to have to think, oh, my word, I've got to come up with a vision for the church. And it was killing me. I was just thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do it. And then we just sacked that. And we said, no, that's not the point. Every, every first Sunday of the year, we just say this, follow Jesus. Do what he says. Follow Jesus. I don't have to set a vision. It's not, that's not my responsibility. That's nobody else's responsibility. And yet to come and uh, to follow Jesus. A servant leader works in teams because it's not about them. I've missed out a few here. A servant leader uh, prays, read the Bible, reads the Bible, loves to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then last one there, a servant leader does this. They just love being in the presence of Jesus. And I think I, I just want to be with leaders and I want to submit to leaders and I want to be a leader that just wants to be in the presence of Jesus, will do anything, will travel any distance, will go anywhere that I can if I'm just in the presence of Jesus. So when we had worship, what was the button that you were using on the, was there a, what, what, what do you call it, pedal? What did you call that pedal? The holy hum pedal. Yeah, the holy hum pedal. But I just thought, oh, I loved it. And then and people were reading it and just thinking, but it was like, I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, did you, does it play off the chords that you play and then it gets going or it just does it? It's, uh, okay, right, okay, anyway. But there was something about the presence of Jesus this morning when we were worshipping and then people were contributing and people were doing and like the song, and I just, I loved it. And that is what I want to pursue more than anything else because if you're a servant leader, it's not about you and about what you can bring. It's about 
being in the presence of Jesus, and together being transformed. Um, I just need to let you know that servant leaders aren't perfect. You're probably quite aware of that. But the vast majority of leaders are faithful servants trying their best to do what God's called them to do. And they will get it wrong. Every single leader in the church will get it wrong, will fall into sin, and will make mistakes. That is not the issue. You know, that is, trust me, that is not the issue. But the issue is this, how do we restore and how do you come back and how do you show grace and mercy? There have been times when uh, in the eldership at Trinity where I've had to go to the elders and I just said, look, I just need to let you know and, co- and confess my sin to them. The point isn't to be perfect as leaders. The point is this, how do you restore in the church and how do you grow together? And I think if the marks of servant leaders aren't visible in somebody's life, they shouldn't really be leading. That is my point. So if you feel called to leadership, I'd really like you to let me know. Because years ago, I, there was, I was sitting at my office and then this guy came and he knocked on the like, door, he said, oh, just to let you know, Duncan, I, I feel called like, to church leadership. And I thought, oh, okay, that's great, it's really helpful. I said, thanks, Andy, for letting me know. And it was Andy Cooley, he was working for the council, but he just came and said... But the thing is, there is the, it's not a call just to, like, to status and to privilege and to recognition, but it's a call to be a servant. And so, at the end, like... I'm just going to, we're going to pray in a, in when we finish in a moment. And just, if you feel called to servant leadership, I want you to just acknowledge it. I want you to put your hand up. And I asked people at Trinity to do this, and then I said, and please then just email me afterwards to let me know that you feel called to servant leadership. So then all these people are emailing me, and do you know what? I'm just going to, well, I'll just pray for you. Just going to pray that you learn how to serve, learn how to be humble, learn how to do all of these things. But actually, those are the leaders that we want to really encourage in the church. So, what are the patterns of uh, leadership uh, that we see uh, in the in the New Testament? I think we can see that what Paul did is that Paul went around to different churches, he planted a church, and then he would go and appoint elders, and then he would say, get on with it, go and grow and you know, crack on with it. And so that's what we've done in places like Basildon and in Islington. We went down there and we appointed some elders, and then we also, there, was, um, there are some other leaders, there's a lady called Angela, that a, she's a an amazing prophetic woman. But we just got all these people up. We didn't appoint her as an elder, but we just recognised her as a leader. And we say, God, come on, bless them, anoint these people, and we appoint them to serve the church. And then do you know what they've done? They've just got on with it, and they're thriving, they're growing. And I think that there's a real call that actually we start... when When Trinity got involved here, and we and KCC became a congregation of Trinity... We started with a very particular end in mind. We started with the end of my, in the mind of KCC becoming its own church again soon. And I, I just, our heart is actually that we would be able to appoint elders back here. So that, I don't know, by the end of the year, KCC would be its own church. 
That's what would be a really good thing to happen. So then you can get on with it. You, you, don't, you don't need people I mean, coming in all the time and just like really, you don't, trust me, you do not need it. You can get on with it, but that's the biblical model. You go into somewhere, you appoint leaders and think, well, get on with it. Uh, will we stand together? Of course we will. We'll always stand together. We'll always work in friendship. We'll always, but that, that's how we do it. But actually there is something, there's a biblical model. So I want to just look at, the, at some of the biblical models of, uh, of leaders in the church. And so that's the, if we can go on to the next one, that'd be really helpful. So we looked at servant leadership. If you want to be a leader, you've got to be a servant. And then the next one is just to look at this model of elders and deacons in the church. If you go on to the next one, okay, we're going to look at these uh, three passages. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 13. And the next one is Titus 1, verses 5 to 9. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, this is quite like a long bit. So shall I just read it? Shall I read it at double speed? This is, no, I can't. That's a bit silly to do that. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honourable position. So a church, when it's talking about church leader here, it's talking about elders and overseers. Uh, so a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home and he must be able to teach. He mustn't be a heavy drinker, a moderate drinker is okay, or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome. He must, he must not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For, a man cannot manage his, for if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? A church leader must not be a new believer, but because, because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers, again, encouraging, or dishonest with money, but they must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. They, before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined, and if they pass the test, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and he must manage his children and household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others uh, and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, that's quite a long thing. Uh, we need to work out, okay, that some of these things, that by that qualification, Jesus and Paul wouldn't have been able to be an elder or a deacon because they weren't married. Okay, just so you know, okay. So we have to sort of like try and work out what in these verses can we take out. Firstly, I just want to look at elders. What do elders do? Elders from these verses like oversee the church. It doesn't mean to say that they do everything, but it is their responsible responsibility to oversee what happens in the church. And then we talked about at a CLT meeting on Thursday about elders being accountable for what happens in the life of the church. I think it's really helpful to look at that. But in particular, they are responsible for um, overseeing and being accountable for the direction and doctrine and discipline of the church. There's... Um, have you just go on to the next slide, can you? I'm not going to read... It. That's the Titus verse, but a lot of it is repeated... 
go home and read it later on because we need to crack on. But if you can go on to the next slide as well, that'd be really helpful. So this is a, a, just a table that I put up. It just, it's the differences. So if you want to have a look at it, the, the first column is the definition of an elder from 1 Timothy chapter 3. The, the next column is the definition of an elder from Titus chapter 1. And then the next column is the definition of a deacon from 1 Timothy chapter 3. I think... Um, I'm not going to go through it in, in every detail because of time. But basically there are huge similarities between a deacon and an elder. I also just want to just very briefly mention the, the word deacon. The word deacon is odd, and some of us don't have a good history of it. Just so you know. <laughs> and I've been trying to work out why. I don't know. This is my speculation, okay, on why we don't have a good understanding of the word. If, if you've never heard the word deacon before, okay, that's fine. You can zone out of this bit here. <coughs> I wonder if it's because you have two leadership groups in a church that have a name and a title. And I wonder whether that can breed vying for power and authority. I don't know. I wonder when you have like a, a title of elders, and most New Frontiers churches, our history would have elders, and, but it's like it's one group, it's one leadership group. And actually it's clearly defined, they are leading the church. But then when you add in another group as well, does it confuse it? And I don't know, I, I, I really don't know. I need to think about it a little bit more, but it, I'd be quite interested to get any feedback from anybody. But I wonder if by having two leadership groups that are named and, t and with a title, you just end up, oh, it's confusing. And, and then they try and usurp each other and they think, oh, well, well actually, I think what the Bible is saying really clearly is that, that elders are responsible for overseeing and deacons are responsible for leading in key key practical areas of the church. And so what we talked about at the CLT was that actually elders have, a, have a, an accountability, they are accountable for what goes on in the church, and then there are other leaders that have some responsibility for what goes on in the life of the church. So I don't know, if you can, if you can cast any light on that, I'd be really helpful. But we just need to think, do we continue to use the word deacon? And I think... There's a part of me that thinks it makes things easier and neater because it's a biblical model. And I, I wonder if you can be clearer on the definition of what an elder and a deacon does. Actually, it means that you can use it a little bit more freely. I don't know. But I think that is where we just need to continue to do a little bit of work. So those are some of the, the key differences. I would say one of the key differences between eldership, elders and deacons are um, that they are the ability to teach on both passages, it says they're able to teach, able to instruct in, down, in sound doctrine. That doesn't always mean necessarily upfront preaching, but it, doesn't, it could mean just even in a small group, the ability to communicate doctrine clearly, whereas that is not listed as a responsibility uh, for a deacon. However, it does say that elders need to be gentle and not arrogant. That doesn't mean to say that deacons can be, <laughs> just so you know. Okay. And then there's another one. Elders shouldn't be quarrelsome or quick-tempered, but that doesn't mean to say that deacons can be. Okay, there's character issues here about the, what it means to be a leader uh, in the church. 
Um, okay, so can I just say the other thing about... Um, there is a consistent assumption in the New Testament that elders are male, that are men. And well, I think when you, when you read the passages, I find it's hard not to draw that conclusion. I find that you know, Jesus, who, who loved to break taboos, had 12 disciples that were guys. Now, that is not to say that there aren't some very, I have some good, godly, Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christians who think differently. But I think historically, within New Frontiers, as you know, the group of churches that we've part of, that we just, you know, I, th- I think probably New Frontiers has been known for this, for having male elders. But I think the reality is that that has sometimes been interpreted in quite a brutal and a misogynistic way. I think I mentioned, I don't know, at some point before, did I mention about Jill standing up at Downs Bible Week? Okay, Jill was at, Jill was at a Bible Week, my wife, and somebody stood up and said, um, can anybody who feels called to leadership in the nations just stand up? Okay, so all these people stood up. Jill stood up. She was quite brave because she's quite, you know, she doesn't like to be seen in public, you know. So Jill made a big step and stood up. She said, yeah, okay, God, I feel called to that. And then the guy at the front said, oh, sorry, I, I just meant the men. So then Jill just had to very quietly <laughs> sit down. And she was, like, scarred for that for years, you know. She was, like, traumatised by that because she'd said, oh, I'll put myself up, but actually it just been crushed. And that is wrong. And I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to build in a new way that honours men and women leading together, but sticks as, as clear as we're able to to what we feel the Bible is saying about men and women leading together. If you read Romans 16, the last passage of Romans 16, it lists 29 people that Paul really, really, really wants to thank for working with him. 11 of them are women. So, you know, over what is it, over a third of the key people that saw the advance of the gospel in the early church were women. I used to go to New Frontiers prayer and fasting meetings with probably 500 leaders in the room. Guess how many women there would be in the room? Pretty much. Two or three. And they'd be doing the admin. (laughs) It's wrong. Utterly wrong. It's unbiblical. It was, that, that is not the model that we see Paul demonstrating with the people that they laboured together. They worked together. And I think it's, it is a, it's a complicated issue. I think just this, what I wrote down here is Christians continue to discuss the complicated issues. Many Christians today subscribe to a complementarian viewpoint affirming distinct gender roles in the church, while others take an egalitarian position, supporting the idea that men and women share equal roles in the church. All Christians, however, affirm that men and women 
with respect to thy identity as our beloved equally as children of God. So we just need to recognise that, okay? That we will think differently, but historically as a church, as a movement of churches, that is where we sit, that elders are men. But actually we want to come to a new day of recognising how men and women can work together, keeping within what we feel is the biblical model. I don't know if you, um, if you saw on, uh, in the verses earlier in 1 Timothy, it says, I do not permit, am I really going to say this verse? I do not permit a woman, a woman to teach in the church. Have you noticed, however, that we have had women preaching in the church? And why has nobody ever come and said to me, well, I think it says this in the church. Why has nobody ever challenged me on that? Or challenge anybody. Well, I tell you what, I think clearly Paul was not arguing for women to be silent in the church. It's obvious he wasn't saying that. Because there are loads of other verses that talk about when a woman speaks, she should do this. When a woman stands up to say, she should do this. It's clearly, you know, there are clearly clear examples where women are not supposed to be silent in the churches. And there are many examples of women leading planting churches and speaking up. Lydia, she was instrumental in planting the church in Philippi, the church that made Paul most happy, most full of joy, the church in Philippi, was uh, Lydia was instrumental in the planting of that church. So clearly Paul is not saying, I don't want you, I don't want women to be saying anything. There was this other moment, I think this is an extraordinary moment, when this guy called Apollos, in Acts, um, Acts chapter 18. In Apollos was going around all the synagogues. He was preaching. He was preaching really, really powerfully. The only thing is that doctrinally, he wasn't quite right. I don't know if you spotted it. Because he, he hadn't really heard about, um, uh, about the baptism. Uh, he only knew about John's baptism. He didn't know about Jesus' baptism. So who was it that had a word with Apollos? Anyone idea? Priscilla. Priscilla went up and uh, said to Apollos, Apollos, great preaching. Great preaching. Just a little word about doctrine. Jesus baptised people as well. Apollos said, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, great. Good. And then Apollos went off and he was preaching about Jesus baptism. He was corrected. It was fine. You know, they see these, like incredible women who are shaping the church. They were really instrumental in shaping the church. And yet there was this clear understanding of how it could work. There are many, many key leaders in Romans chapter 16. And 1 Corinthians 11 says, when a, when a woman speaks in the church. So what does that verse in Timothy say? I think that verse in Timothy is saying, actually there's something about an apostolic authority to lay foundations in the church. And, and actually I, I think... You know, most of the time, what, what I'm doing now is I'm not laying apostolic authority. I'm not laying foundation. I'm just saying this is what the Bible says. I'm encouraging us to be more biblical in the way that we're thinking. The idea of deacons. What do deacons do? Acts chapter 2 says this. So the 12 called the meeting of all the believers and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God and not running a food program, not running the food bank. And so, brothers, select seven uh, men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and, and wisdom and we will give them their, this responsibility and then 
We apostles can spend our time in the word and preaching the word. It's not just men, because Romans chapter 16 also talks about Phoebe, who was the deacon of the church. There's the same quality, same character qualifications between elders and deacons, and yet they have this different area of responsibility. Deacons uh, focused on making things happen. So, can I just give you another di- uh, last diagram? I'll just go on to the next one. Okay, a model for KCC. You ready? Go. Next one. There you go. That's, we, what we want to do is we just want to have a, a clear model of how we can work leadership within KCC. The other thing that is really important to know, or is good to factor in, is that um, I'm going to go on sabbatical soon. So I won't be around between uh, May, June, July, and August. And I think it's just purely God's timing. Because it means that, actually, we'll just have to get on with it. <laughs> we just have to get on with it. So this is what we're looking at. Is to have, we'll have elders. We'll appoint elders, uh, men who oversee and are accountable to God for the direction, doctrine, and discipline of the church. And then around that eldership team, we'll have a core team. We were going to call it the senior leadership team, but we've changed it, like all the, a lot of these things, and we're now going to call it a core team. And that will be men and women who are responsible for strategically implementing the direction, doctrine, and discipline, and oversight of the church. There you go. So we've got elders, and then we've got a core team around them. But then alongside that, we're going to have deacons, if we call them deacons, or what we... It's the same thing that we're currently calling our CLT. Like, men and women who are just carrying specific areas of responsibility in the church. And then, uh, so they're going to lead that, and then trustees who ensure the financial and legal integrity of the church, and they carry key areas of church life. And there are loads of other teams that are working there as well, but these are some of the key leadership teams that we're looking at creating at the moment. Does anybody have any questions on that? I should have, I should have said, giving you a little bit more warning, so I'll waffle for 10 minutes, just to, 10, no, 10 seconds, to ask, see if you have any questions that you might want to ask, and I can see a few people taking an intake of breath, which means, Jonathan, what did you have to do? Um, can you say something about timescale? Uh, timescale, yeah, that'd be really helpful. I will do that. Any other questions? It's the killing. Yeah, sorry. Uh, this the circle for elders, and they should be within the core team one, but it's overlapping with all the other Why is it in the middle? It's a good point. <clears throat> okay, I'll, I'll come to that as well. Yep. Any other? Any others? Amy. Okay. Okay, so can I answer those two questions? I'll try and answer those two questions together and then come to the timing of the issue as well. Why are elders not right in the middle? Because I think even diagrammatically, we want to say that this church is led by Jesus. I don't, want to, I don't want to be part of a church where everything revolves around the elders. It's just not helpful. It's not helpful for the elders, and it's not helpful for the church. So that's, that's where I'm coming on that one. And then if you, if you can position it like this, then that's really helpful. I think within the elders, 
If we're committed to Romans 16, we need to give space like for women to be leaders, but to be able to have a distinction of what elders do. So we want to have elders who, are, who will be accountable before God for the direction, discipline and doctrine of the church. But actually we need to have a team that works with that in a very inclusive way that it can involve men that aren't elders and can include women. We, we want to have that. That is a really important strategic step for us to be made. Otherwise, I feel that we won't be really replicating the model <clears throat> of Romans chapter 16. We won't really be honouring the Lydia's in our midst. So we need, that's why we need to have, that's why elders aren't in the middle, and that's why we're going to have a, a core team around there. Now, there will be some people, I, in fact, I know there will be some people that are in that deacons or the CLT team that are also in, in the core team. And there may, be, there may be some people that are in the deacons team or the CLT team and the, the core team, and, and they're also an elder. They're, so they're in all these teams. And there could even be somebody who's a trustee as well. And that's the person we need to pray for most of all. Well, who knows, okay? <laughs> but it might happen. But there's, there, there's this overlap. So at Trinity, I sit in all of those teams. I mean, it's easier, you know, for me. But I, do, I sit in all of those, like, different teams, and there will be some people that will, will sit in, 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 in those teams. And so, that, yes, that, that's why there's the overlap that there is. And in terms of timing, that the... And, I'm, again, I'm grateful to, to God for the way that he's orchestrated, but I'm also, to be honest, quite grateful for people like Richard Whiteman, who is a hugely strategic leader over at Milton Keynes, who's been really helpful in, to me, you know, in doing all of this. So actually, we set up the, the, um, the CLT. How long ago was that? June 22. Okay, yeah, so over 18 months ago. And that's been running, and that's been running really well. That's been really good. The trustees have, have always been running. And then, so in terms of um, appointing like a core team, we'd appoint a core team first. And then in due course, I think out of that, we'll appoint elders. But ideally, you know, if we want to be able to have elders in the church by December 24, you know, we need to be able to get on with it, really. But it's not... We're not going to be doing that. You know, if I'm away on sabbatical from May, we need to have a structure that is operating and people know who to talk to. And if there's an issue, who do they speak to? And all those sorts of things. That needs to be in place pretty much, you know, within the next couple of months, but I think that needs to be laying the foundation for appointing elders, you know, in December 24. Something like that. Ideally, you know, hope <laughs> that's, what you, that's what would be great if we could do, but we just need to try and trust in the Lord in it. Anything else? Can I ask you to stand with me? <clears throat>